Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. This morning's scripture reading will come from John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. That was John 15, 18 through 20. Good morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Appreciate everything that has been said so far, and I do just want to especially uh, say uh, a commendation to Brother Chuck, that's excellent prayer, and uh, we definitely want to remember those who have um, given their lives and sacrificed so much in order to preserve for us this nation that has blessed us all so greatly, and I absolutely echo that, but our first country is the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is our Lord and King, and that is the country to which our highest loyalty is owed, and certainly on this day as we join the nation in remembering those who've gone before us um, in this country, civically, let's also remember those who've gone before us spiritually. Our series, uh, or our theme this year, and the year of our Lord 2023, is for Him. Everything this year is about Jesus and about the fact that we live our entire lives for Him, and everything about us was created by Him and for Him, and We've been in our series um, now for a little over a month, and I've asked several of you for feedback about this series and how, um, you know, just kind of your assessment of it, and I think, uh, generally speaking, it has been hated. And so, okay, moving on. There you go. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is a passage we've looked at a couple of times over the course of this series to remind us that everything in the Bible, every revelation that God has given us, the whole of his instruction is given with love in mind, and its aim is always love, no matter what the Bible says. The aim is always love, and so this becomes a controlling passage that that gives us a true north that can help us to interpret passages correctly that may be difficult. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. The Apostle Paul gives us a straightforward statement of command. He says, let all that you do be done in love. That, of course, leaves nothing out. Let all that you do be done in love. We think about what the Bible has to say about love and hate, and we've been considering this now, you know, for several weeks in this series, but 
I, I kind of want to just summarize the point of what we've been talking about in this way. In the Bible, hate is sometimes just hate. Sometimes it's just hate. You see passages in which we find people hating each other and working against each other. Just as we would use the word hate in our everyday language about somebody in our workplace or school or neighborhood or just in our country or, or, or people in the world hating each other and wanting to, to do harm to each other. But most of the time when we read the word hate in the Bible, especially in a context uh, that would imply that God hates somebody or something, the word is being used in a less than literal way. In other words, in a symbolic way. We've, been, we've talked about it as binary, as this or that, zeros and ones, two choices. Uh, and loyalty is the main idea when we're talking about the hatred, the so-called hatred of God. It's, it's being used in a less than literal way to label anything besides pure love, especially when the differences seriously need to be stressed for the sake of making it clear just how much we are to love. Anytime there are, is a potential conflict between two sources of influence or two sources of authority, and one says you should do this and go this way, and another says, no, 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 you should do that and go that way, we have a choice to make. And in that binary, at that place where we are at a crossroad, the fork in the road, in which we have two options, you will either love one or you'll hate the other, as manifested by the decision that you make, which path you choose to follow, which authority you choose to love or to be loyal to. And this is the real meaning behind the passage that we've been talking about so far in this series. And Jesus summarizes how our love is to be directed toward Him, what that's going to look like in our daily lives in John 14, verse 15, when He said, If you love me, you will. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now that's an ultimatum. It's an ultimatum. And we are familiar with that kind of language. Perhaps someone in your life. Perhaps a, a parent or a spouse or a child or someone in your life, maybe a close friend, has said to you at some point in your life, if you love me, you will. Now, we usually malign that sort of thing. We usually say, well, that's not fair. It's not fair for you to put me in this place where I've got to choose between these two things that I love. Maybe it is something that you love, that in your life someone you love is saying, I don't love that thing that you like, I don't love that thing that you do, and so you're going to have to choose between me and that. And generally, as human beings, we just despise it when folks put us in that kind of a place, right? Don't like it. I don't like it either. But sometimes it is legitimate. Sometimes it's legitimate. Sometimes someone's behavior is destroying the, the lives around them, that is, is bringing ruin into a family and someone not because they want to manipulate, not because they have some kind of deep-seated need to control, but because they, they want to preserve uh, what, what good can be preserved and they want to protect what can be protected and they also want to discipline the one who is sinning might say, we've just come to this fork in the road and you're going to have to choose. And that can be a tough place to be. But love is a defined thing. 
Love has a definition biblically. Our last series, Jesus Loves Me, we affirmed that repeatedly. And, and we had that series before this one to help us to get a foundation under our feet so that we can recognize what true love actually is and what true love actually does. You cannot just say that you love. It's got to be manifest in the decisions that you make, in the words that you say, and in the things that you do. And Jesus is telling us that that is the case. He's, he's, he's giving us that ultimatum, not because he's trying to be abusive and controlling or manipulative or any sort of thing. He's giving us this ultimatum because, well, these really are the only two choices. Because everything that Jesus has ever taught, everything that he's done, all that he commands is for our good and it comes from the motive of perfect love, of divine love. And it leads to our salvation, our forgiveness, our redemption, our transformation, that we might become the sons and daughters of God that we're supposed to be, people who are living in the spirit of divine love, who are being equitable and fair and supportive and encouraging and, and building up our brothers and sisters and not tearing them down. And so it's perfectly right for Jesus to put us in the position that we need to be in because we need to be put in a position to choose between him and the world and when faced with that choice we need to have the wisdom to choose Jesus and reject the world no matter how strong the temptation to do otherwise may be and brothers and sisters it is with it is that sort of conflict that fork in the road that comes to us often in life that Jesus has in mind in this passage, which is the central passage of our sermon today, and the one we're wrapping up this series with, Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he, Jesus, turned and said to them, and I want to stop and just paint that picture for just a moment. Great crowds are accompanying This is Jesus at the peak of his earthly ministry, and he has worked miracles all over the land, and he has taught the Word of God and interpreted it in ways that the people had, had just were, it was mind-blowing. They had never heard anybody teach like that. And they had a lot of expectations about Jesus, and some of them were not quite on target. Jesus realizes that anytime you've got a great crowd of people following you, that there are some folks in the core of that crowd that are really devoted to what it is they're pursuing, but there are also a lot of joiners and tagalongs. People are like, well, this is the cool thing to do. This is where everybody's going. Well, if I want to be accepted, I better do what these folks are doing too because all my neighbors have gone out after Jesus, so I guess I ought to go too. In other words, they're trying to make Jesus into the world. They're wanting to follow Jesus the way that the world follows the crowd. And so just imagine yourself being a part of this great crowd of people that are following Jesus as he went from place to place doing his good works and performing his miracles and, and preaching the gospel. Just imagine you're in the crowd and you're walking along having a great time and uh, probably just singing and skipping and, 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 and just really enjoying the company of all those around you and you get to some certain place and suddenly the whole crowd stops and you know what happens about 30 seconds before worship service begins, right? I don't know how it always happens. It doesn't even always have to have the lights flickered, although that definitely triggers the moment. But if you're standing around visiting, you, you feel this sort of hush coming over the crest. Like everybody knows, oh, it's time to transition. we got to get to our seats and sit down because worship's about to start. And I just kind of imagine that happening in this context where everybody's following Jesus and they're talking and they'll have a good time. And then he's, he stopped. And those closest to him, the 12, 
around him, recognize he's about to teach them something, and they're shushing everybody, and it just goes out in a wave through the crowd. And I imagine Jesus standing in a place where as many as possible could, could hear him, and then a loud voice says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life cannot be my disciple. Imagine that. Imagine those who heard those words for the first time. It was one of several challenges that Jesus gave to the crowds following him that resulted in the discouragement and even the apostasy. Some turned away from Jesus because of hard sayings like this. What? I, I, I got to choose between you and my mama? Are you telling me I, I, I've got to choose you over my father? Are you telling me that, that compared to you, my love for my wife should be hatred? Are, are you telling me that I have to choose you before my children? That if I have to choose between you and my children, I neglect my children in order to embrace you? Do you think that's what Jesus is saying? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He continues, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Man, what a powerful statement. But we've got to, again, put some bookends around this passage to help us to understand what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is not saying. We read in Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That commandment came from Jesus and through the prophets and the apostles has been given to us by Jesus. And I think if we are to interpret this passage literally, we would certainly say that honoring your father and mother does not mean hating them, right? Yeah, I think that's a safe thing for us to say. That's not the only thing the Bible has to say. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me and does do we have a contradiction in Scripture here? Does Jesus not really know what he actually wants? Is he speaking out of both sides of his mouth? No, he's not. He's not. It's a context issue. Interpret that literally. Men, if you're married, love your wife. How? Sacrificially. The same way Christ loved the church. Was willing to lay his life down for her. That's the teaching of the Lord and that's his will. Titus 2 verses 3 and 4. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, just too much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to what? Hate. No, no, to love their husbands and children. Do you see that? You see that the teaching of scripture is clear on the subject of love. Our controlling passage tells us that, that the aim of our instruction is love. We're commanded to, that everything that we do should be done in love. That's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. But we have this passage in which Jesus says, if you don't hate, you cannot be my disciple. Well, there's a word there, hyperbole. And hyperbole makes certain passages, well, at least initially very confusing. And the Lord is perfectly comfortable with that. 
During his earthly ministry, he was perfectly comfortable saying something like he says in our text today, knowing that folks were going to be confused by it and maybe discouraged by it. But there was a purpose that Jesus had in that. It was a way to separate the wheat from the chaff. Because if you really, really did see in Jesus the qualities of the Messiah, and you really did believe that he was the teacher of Israel and the son of God and the one that had the answers, well then when Jesus says something like this that just smacks you in the face with a challenge that's hard to understand, what are you going to do? I hope you're going to do what the apostles often did, and that is you're going to wait until a good opportunity, and you're going to say, uh, Jesus, what do you mean by that? And then he's going to teach you, and then you're going to understand. But there were some who were just following the crowd. They really weren't invested in Jesus, and they didn't really love him, and they didn't really care. They had other options in life that they were happy to choose. And so when Jesus would say something hard like that, something that challenged their faith, well, then they would just say, ah, oh, he can't be the Messiah. I'm done with him. I'm going to move on and wait for the next one. The next one, by the way, got them killed. But that's neither here nor there. Hyperbole is something that is characteristic of this passage and characteristic of Jewish teaching. It's not just that we've come to this passage and said, oh, well, we better say that's hyperbole or else people are going to accuse Jesus of contradicting himself. Now, listen, I'll tell you this. You can go out on Internet land and search, and you can find all kinds of people making all kinds of accusations against the Bible for contradictions. And you will even find folks bringing up what we're talking about today. But if, if they applied the same rules to their own communications, they would be far worse than the Bible that they're trying to reject. Because context is always the, uh, the lord of the meanings of words and phrases. Yes, words have basic meanings, and those basic meanings form kind of an anchor. But if you're out on a boat in the lake somewhere and you drop anchor, it's going to keep you centered around a particular spot. The anchor stays there, but the boat can still move around, you know, three or four feet in every direction, depending upon how much, you know, line you've got to the anchor, right? Right, and so... And so what Jesus is trying to get us to recognize in this con context, uh, just, just as we recognize in all of our conversations, there's different ways to use the same words in different contexts for different meanings. And when you consider the whole of the case of Scripture, it makes things very clear. So I want to make sure that we understand what we've been talking about in this series when we talk about the comparison and contrast between love and hate. Love, according to Jesus' teaching in these core passages we've been talking about, means this. The hyperbole, the exaggeration, the symbolism means this. This is what the passage means, okay? I want to say that again because I want everybody to hear. This is what it means. Love for the Lord is complete, whole, holistic, comprehensive, all-encompassing, perfect, 100% total loyalty to Jesus first, and if necessary, alone. That's what he means. Jesus is your Lord. No matter who likes it or doesn't, even if it's your mama, even if it's your daddy, even if it's your wife, even if it's your children, even if it's your friends, even if it's your community, even if it's your nation, even if it's the whole world, Jesus is your number one. And if someone brings you to that fork in the road and says, if you love me, and puts you in a position to have to choose, you need to know first, and then they need to know 
that you love them, but you will choose Jesus every single time. That's the meaning of love in these contexts. What is hate in these contexts we've talked about in this series? Everyone else, in the sense the context is stressing, that is in rebellion against Jesus, regardless of faith and loyalty. In other words, you have none, no love left to give after Jesus. Now, I'll explain this more in just a moment. Love Jesus first and, and, if necessary, exclusively. When it comes to choosing between him and someone else. In the world, hatred doesn't literally mean you're trying to murder and destroy and ruin all the people around you. It just simply means the choice has been made. And if, if they're against Jesus, well, then they're against you. And that's just the way that goes. And so faith and loyalty, you've got none left to give anybody. I have no loyalty to my mother as much as I love her. I have no loyalty to my father. I have no loyalty to my wife, to my children, to my friends. I have no loyalty to myself. That's the point. When it comes down to it, I belong to Jesus. and He's my Lord and my King. It's his will that matters, not mine, and not anybody else's. And I hope that that makes sense. Jesus is not commanding us to literally hate anyone, but rather to love him first and most, so that at any time a choice between him and something else arises, we will always choose him. And not just that we will always choose him, but that we have already chosen him. Amen. That's the point of these passages. Jesus uses a word that is extremely important in these contexts, and he uses it multiple times. He uses the word cannot. Cannot. He says, whoever will not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And there are numerous passages, I don't have time to get into all of them, but there are a number of passages in the Gospels where Jesus brings up this conflict. And, and he says, if I am not first, you can't be my disciple. He's not saying, I won't let you. He's saying that it's not a possibility because he understands what's in human nature. And, and, and human nature is, is selfish in this fallen world. And if we're going with just what we feel on the inside and just what we think and what, what resonates with us and, and what we just feel, we're always going to choose something that is selfish, something that plays to our pride, something that uh, appeases our lusts or our desires. We're going to do whatever profits the no number one the most if we ourselves are number one. Well, what if your mom and daddy are number one? What if you really believe that the most important people in your life is your mom and daddy? I hope they're great people that love Jesus. I really do. But it's going to create situations in life in which you're going to end up choosing to do what mom and daddy want you to do. And it may not be what the Lord wants you to do. And that's the point that Jesus is making. Whoever is your master, whoever is your first love, that's who you're going to seek and that's who you're going to serve. And if Jesus is not that master, you can't serve him. You will choose other masters. That's his point. It's simply reality. It is binary. You either choose Jesus or you choose anything else. But if you choose Jesus, you have renounced the claims of anyone else. Let me just kind of hopefully illustrate and help us to see what this looks like. Somebody might say, and, and what the person who does love the Lord, as these passages teach him or her to do, they might say, I want to give Christ my all. That is what every, every person in the world ought to be saying. I want to give Jesus my all. 
that I am and everything about me. But I want to do what I want to. I want to do what I want to. I love myself, and I really enjoy having me as my own master because I always approve the things that I like to do. <laughs> you see how that doesn't work? doesn't work. That's Jesus' point. If you say, I want to give Christ my all, but I want to do what I want to, let me tell you what you'll do. You know what you'll do, right? You'll do what you want to do. And you'll probably try to rationalize it and to say, well, this is perfectly in keeping. I'm not breaking any commandments. It's deeper than breaking commandments. It's about loyalty. Somebody might say, I love Jesus with all of my heart, but I deeply love my children too. Well, I certainly deeply love my children. I really do. I love them very much. But they've known this ever since they came out of my wife's blessed and beautiful womb, all right? They've known that if they ever put daddy in a situation where he has to choose between them or Jesus, they know who daddy chooses every time. I belong to Jesus. No one else. I love my children. But if they turn away from the Lord, they turn away from me too because I'm with Jesus. And that's where we're going to stay. And so I do love my children, but it's not something separate from my love for Jesus. It's something that is a part of my love from Jesus. It flows from my love for Jesus. My love for Jesus teaches me to love my children and teaches me how to love my children. But if I put my children first, in the end, I will neither love the Lord or them. It's just human nature. I'm begging you to listen to me because I, I just have a feeling knowing human nature as well as I do that there may be some folks listening in the auditorium today that are thinking, I'm just not sure that's true. I think I can probably pull it off. May God preserve your life while you are repeatedly falling flat upon your face in failure until you finally realize that what the Word of God said is absolute truth and you cannot get around it under it, over it. You cannot beat it. As the Lord said to the Apostle Paul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's going to hurt you if you try to live life in any way that violates the teachings of Jesus. I will be loyal to Jesus no matter what. Oh, but if I don't deny him, they'll kill my family. And in the United States of America, in our lifetimes, none of us have ever had to deal with that conundrum. But there are folks in the world today, in various places in the world, that still do have to deal with that reality. And this is why Jesus' teachings are so important. I pray that this country will continue to be more or less free, at least as free as it is, I, I do pray that. I pray that persecution, especially violent persecution, will never come to us in this country. I pray that our brothers and sisters, wherever they are in the world, that are dealing with violent persecution will be delivered and will be vindicated in the eyes of their enemies when the Lord is pleased to do so. But it's exactly this kind of conundrum that the Lord is trying to help us to avoid. Because if my precious little babies are more important to me than Jesus... When the persecutor's gun or knife or bomb or threats is placed before me, I 
just might choose them before Jesus. And that would be a sin. And it could ultimately cost me my soul, and the influence could cost them theirs. I want to ask you a question. What's more important to you? Is it having the uh, picturesque life in this world? Mom and daddy, two and a half kids, a dog and a cat, and a white picket fence. A great income, driving a nice car, going to the beach or the mountains at least once or twice a year. All of you just so happy. All of you just so blessed. All of you have your ease and everything at peace, and then you die and stand before the Lord, and you hear, and you hear the Lord say about your children, depart from me, I never knew you, workers of lawlessness. What's the use of that? What's the point of that? Is that success? Is it really love? You see, that's, those are the questions, the tough questions that are the heart of these passages that Jesus is doing us a favor, brothers and sisters. These passages are given to us out of love. Remember, the goal or the aim of our instruction is love. This passage that talks about hate, all of the passages in this series that talk about hate are aimed at helping us to understand what real Christian love, what real love actually looks like and what it does. Love has to make tough choices. And sometimes the objects of your love do not like the choices that you have to make. But if they're the right choices, if they're loyal to Almighty God, if they honor Him, if they influence those you love to see that Jesus is Lord and does have the legitimate claim on their life and ought to be obeyed, then make the tough choice. And even if you have to lose that beautiful, picturesque relationship with a child or a parent or a spouse for decades in life, but the influence ultimately saves their souls and yours, that, my friends, is love. Make your choice. Make your choice. Who do you serve? You need to have already answered that question. You see, in the Bible, hate is sometimes just hate. But most of the time, it's a less than literal way to label anything besides pure love for Jesus, especially when the differences seriously need to be stressed for the sake of making it clear just how much we are to love and how that love manifests itself in our choices. I hope that you have picked up the point of this series, but if not, let me try to make it abundantly clear. We began with this passage, and I want it to be on our minds as we end this series. Jesus, our Lord, says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Oh, but do remember, if they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we ought never to expect the world to love us. Are you hearing me? You ought never to expect the world to love you. Don't expect that. And when it doesn't, you won't be let down. You won't be disappointed, and it will not be a surprise. Never expect the world to like us, 
to agree with us, to support us. Listen, don't even expect the world to tolerate us. Don't expect the world to tolerate you. Push comes to shove in dark times. The world demonstrated for 2,000 years plus what it will do to those that love the Lord and that choose Him and reject the world when they come to that crossroads. Do not forget, though, brothers and sisters, that all that is in the world is people. When the Bible talks about the world, God so loved the world, it's not talking about the grass and the trees, although I'm sure God loves those things that He created as well. But it's talking about people, the system of human culture. So all that is in the world, when John tells us the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, it's people. Don't forget what that is referring to. All that is in the world is people, and they're people of the same nature as you and the same nature as me. People that are plagued by Satan, abused by him, that have been in a fallen world, and that have been misled and deceived all of their lives. So that should it be a surprise to us that there are many, many people in the world that go wrong and do wrong and embrace evil, and they don't even understand what they're doing. The words of God to Jonah the prophet in Jonah chapter 4, when Jonah wanted all the Ninevites just to be burned with fire and brimstone, and God wanted to save them, and God said, they don't know their right hand from their left. Shouldn't I have compassion on them? Brothers and sisters, we need to be the kind of people that Jonah wasn't kind of people that our God is, the kind of people that love our neighbors as ourselves, but just like Jesus, love our enemies too. And so the message really is this, it's to love everyone through Christ, Christ first, Christ the vehicle of your love, the controlling factor of your love, the definition of your love, the boundaries of your love, the object of your love. And through that love for Christ then filters your regard for every other person. Love Jesus with all the love you have to give so that the love you show others is not something in addition to it or separate from it, but simply an extension of it. Even if, brothers and sisters, they hate you for it. But our aim, Jesus' aim, the aim of the gospel, even though it does sometimes lay down very tough challenges in our ways, is that those who have hated us will come to recognize that they are loved. As each one of us in Christ have recognized that we are loved. And it is the love of Jesus even for his enemies, of which we all once were, that has drawn us to faith in him. And yes, the world will keep on hating us and doing evil, but right now, there are souls in your world, in your life, your family, your place, your neighborhood, that if they really are able to see the genuine love of Christ in you, they'll come to recognize that Jesus loves them too. And they can be saved. And they can be forgiven. Brothers and sisters, the aim of our charge is love. That kind of love. This morning, I want you to know, if you're not a baptized believer, if you're old enough and experienced enough where you understand what right and wrong is, and you know you've done wrong, you know you've sinned against God, you need to recognize that He is the just and perfect judge. If you come before Him still bearing those sins, you'll be cast into hell. There are only two options on Judgment Day. Heaven or hell, saved or lost, no middle ground, 
no purgatory, no time to work things out. When you leave this life, my friend, it's done. And so today, if you're in sin, you need to embrace the gospel of Jesus. Confess your belief in his name based upon the decision to give him your life in repentance. Obey the commandment to be baptized. When you're baptized, you'll be united with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and your sins will be washed away. You will become a child of God. You, the former enemy, will become the friend. Just as Jesus said, if they have obeyed my voice, they'll obey yours too. Do you need to obey the gospel today? Then do it. Don't delay. This morning, if you are a baptized believer that needs our prayers, the front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.